I used to be a huge Bob Dylan fan, which I'm sure you're going to be kind of surprised about. Uh, no, not really. No? No. He, Why do you think I like him? He's chill. He's chill. So like one of my favorite songs going back, this like kind of takes me back to my college days. So we used to jam Hurricane by Bob Dylan, if you remember that song. That was a great story. Anyway, I thought you'd be kind of surprised about that. I'm not surprised at all. At okay. all. No. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Jason Zenger, and I'm joined by my co-host of almost 300 episodes, Jim Carr. Wow. How you doing, buddy? (laughs) And I think you and I have each maybe only missed like one... I think I've missed like one episode. You probably missed more than that. No, I don't think so. You've maybe missed one too. Oh, I know I have for sure. But yeah, uh, yeah, there's been times I've been on vacation and you and Nick have recorded. Yep. yep. Or we were doing solos for a while. There yeah, too. that's true. That's true. So, so Jim, you didn't ask me how I am. Oh, how are you? I did ask you how you are. But you, you, I don't know. Whatever. How are you? I'm okay. I'm tired. Good. We've Good. been recording. Yeah. All we've day. been recording all day. And, and when I ask you how you are, I really mean it. Oh, thank you. Like one of the first things. I'm that, hungry and I'm ready for a glass of wine. I had frankly. a conversation and this is actually very relevant to this. So I had a conversation with a gentleman that I've And agreed. they asked, do you really like Jim? No, he doesn't even know who you are. Okay. And this is a leader that I respect. And he owns a company that has about 50 people on his team. So okay. a little bit bigger than mine. Okay. And one of the comments that he made, you know, we're talking about hiring and retaining people. And one of the comments that he made was, I don't know everybody's name in the company. That's and no I was more. like, dude, that's not that's good. Not good. I'm, like, that, I'm like, you're not big enough company to not know everybody's name. I was like, I not only know everybody's name, I know all their families. I know how many kids they have. I know what's stressing them out in their personal lives. I mean, one of the first, and I'm going to talk to him a little bit more in depth about this, but one of the first things that I do when I get into the office, I don't even hook up my computer. I go around and I say hi to everybody and ask how everybody's doing. And so when I ask you how you're doing, I don't just mean it as a greeting. Like I really genuinely, how you doing? You know what I mean? Like you're doing okay. Like, because I care about how you're doing and I care about how my people are doing and because I feel like it's my responsibility to lead them well and mm-hmm. to care for them. I feel mm-hmm. like I'm, you know, kind of part of shepherding my How many you know, days my a week are you actually in the office though? I'm not in the office very often, okay. but that still doesn't take away well, from what I do. Well, you're making me feel bad because I don't, there's some days I don't even go out in the shop. Yeah. I mean, I'm in the office. But I'm, when I do go out in the shop, of course I go, I don't carry on a conversation, but I do genuinely mean it. Matt, yeah. how are you? Yeah. Hi, how you doing? Exactly. So yeah. I, have, I have two offices. I have three locations, but I have two offices. And so I'm in one of them once a week and one of them twice a week. Okay. And then I'm working okay. home usually twice a week. Or I'm with you, you know, one of those other days. Okay. So yeah, I mean... and I So think, once a week, you're with your guys. Yeah. You engage... No, well, three times a week. It's just that I have two locations. Yeah, but let's just say Zangers. Okay. Let's Zangers, say- I'm there twice a week. Okay, so twice a week, you actually go around to every single person. I walk through the whole place. Okay, and you do that at... I throw my bag down. Maybe I still have my bag on me. Sometimes I still have my jacket on me, and I go around and talk to everybody. Do you smoke a cigarette when you're doing that? No. (laughs) No, I have to watch out for my heart. I can't do that anymore. It's not good for me. I'm just kidding. No, I know. I'm just visualizing this. I know. But that's uh, admirable. I I think it's important. And I thought about this. I was going through I my... I mean, I just can't do that five days a week. I understand. But you have to understand one thing. I invite 
everybody here in my office at this table we're sitting at right now for 90 minutes and we're all talking about all our stuff. So I'm not saying you have to do what I do. I don't you know want, what I mean. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, but when I look at, when I was looking in my, you know, I take notes on what I do all day long just to make sure I'm making good use of my time. I'm looking at my notes and I'm like, okay, 30 minutes, I'm going around the company and talking to everybody. I mean, I'm spending 30 minutes doing that. And also every other week we do what you do and we have an hour long meeting where, to be quite honest with you, we call it like our team health meeting. I do that in the other location once a week for about 30 minutes. I mean, we're just sharing our good news that's going on with us personally a lot of times. Sometimes some people talk about, you know, what's going on with them business-wise, but I guess my point is not everybody says their good news though. No, everybody you have to. Oh, not everybody in mind says their shares good news. I don't want to force some, some people of them are to, lame. Some people don't want to talk though. Why are you forcing somebody to do something they don't want to do? Cuz it's just part of our process. Okay. But you know what? If they don't want to share, they can share something that's business-wise. So like maybe if somebody doesn't want to share something going on personally, they'd be like, "Oh, well, I just got a order from Car Machine and Tool for two drums of, you know, Master Fluid coolant. Okay. You know, so that's, I mean, that's great. That's good news to share. It you is know good what news I mean? to share. Yeah. But I still think it's important to have that time to everybody to get to know each other better because, like, everybody on my team knows everything that's going on with each other. Like, one of my people was like, hey, you know, my wife got good news back from the doctor. I mean, those are the kind of things that, and, and yeah, you know, everybody knows what's going on with each other. So, the reason I say this is because we're talking about the great resignation. And that's what your episode is to, about today. That's what this is about today. Okay. And I think all of these things are very relevant, which we'll, we'll get into well, later. I heard something that there has never been more people changing jobs in our history than ever before. Right people now. are moving around. Yeah. No doubt about it. People are moving well, around. There's a lot to talk about. I'm going to get into kind of the nuts and bolts and how it's relevant to manufacturing leaders too. So have you have you suffered any casualties from the Great Resignation? Zero. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're adding people. people yeah, are, same here. People are coming to us. Yep. So yep, yep. that actually makes me feel very good. I want to make a couple observations and just a couple antidotal things outside of our industry first. So one of the things... That, so I live in the city of Chicago. You do. Near Wrigley Field. And you so do. there's a lot of high-end and low-end restaurants that we've been to. And one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of the employees of the lower end restaurants are moving up to the higher end restaurants. Okay. I've actually so, seen that. So the lower end restaurant, and you're probably seen in your neighborhood. So the lower end restaurants, I feel like are suffering more from a people standpoint, more than the higher end restaurants, because of course you can make more money at the higher end restaurants. Supposedly. So, well, no, I that's mean, just yes, what it is. Yes. Yeah, it's like if you go to work for, you know, if I you're mean, Olive Garden. Okay, there's going to be. I'm a, not thinking uh, saying Olive Garden is, but it's just it's yeah. standard. It's a value type. You're going to make less in tips than you are if you're working at Maple and Ash. Yeah, exactly. Okay, and then another thing that I thought was interesting. So I'm a part of a this coaching program, which I mentioned before. And there's a few. I don't know if you know this, but Chick Fil A it's a franchise, and so those individual stores are their owners of those stores and some of their franchises. Yeah. Some of them have like a hundred people that work there. What? Yeah. I know this one guy, he owns two stores and he has like 120 people. Okay. Maybe not a hundred store, but he has 120 to 150 people that work for him out of two stores. They're all part-time. He has a big leadership team, but there's a lot of part-timers. But so here's the thing. One of the things that he said was sales are up, lines are longer, people are stressed out. So Chick-fil-A has this reputation of being like the gold star for a teenager to get a job. So 
If you live in, you know, what? Yeah, it's the gold star. I'm Who just told tell- you that. I'm just telling you, like, we don't have a lot of them up here in the north, but they have a lot of them down south. And if you're a teenager and you're getting your entry level job, your first job working it's for a- Chick fil A is the gold star. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you why. They put a lot of training, leadership training into their people from a very young age, and they want to retain them even throughout college and then maybe make them into owner operators at a later time. That's a great strategy. And there's a lot, I've, I've heard from a lot of people who are like, yeah, I know the owner of my local Chick-fil-A, so I got my kid a job there because I know that they're going to be trained well. I mean, if you ever go to Chick-fil-A, you know they say please and thank you and what's their big I've their never mantra? been to a Chick-fil-A oh, ever. Their big mantra, if you say thank you after they give you their food, they say it's my pleasure. Oh. And they're trained to say, they so they put Ritz a lot Carlton of training too. in, the, you, it, well, there you go. Right. So Ritz-Carlton Chick-fil-A. So you could see where they're putting a lot of time and effort into training the people. Do you get that same thing at McDonald's? No. Or Dunkin' Donuts? No. Or Starbucks? No. No, you don't. No. So anyway, so the reason that this is relevant is what he's saying is like, their sales are up 20%. Their people are now 75% because they can't find anybody. So the lines are longer and people are stressed out. So like, now it becomes this like perpetual problem where they're not necessarily getting the great training that they wanted to get because it's just a stressful situation. I understand. So why is there this deficit? That's what I want to know because we're going to talk about that. Pre-pandemic, there wasn't a problem, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. No one was screaming like they are now. Right. Yep. Yep. So and we're going to talk about that, and I think I want to put these facts into context specifically for and we manufacturing it leaders. To, yes, because like, you hear a lot of stuff out there. But it doesn't necessarily matter what's happening at Chick-fil-A. It does not. It's helpful for us for like just some relevancy to understand and to learn from other industries. But we want to understand how this is relevant to manufacturing. So I want to talk about what's happened and what to look out into the future. And I also want to give credit. There's a, um, some gentlemen that I'm friends with from a company called Eden Business Concepts. And they gave me some of the inspiration for this episode and some of the information that I'm going to go to utilize. So Jim, we've talked about this before. Just a little icebreaker. What kind of music you listen to right now? Any song in particular? No, not particularly any song. The genre that I'm listening to now is electronic chill music. I have it on here at the office. For me, it creates a methodic sound to keep me moving throughout the day. And it's kind of relaxing for me. It's not in my ears. But I listen to that. You know, I'm an 80s guy, right? So I listen to a lot of 80s music when I'm in the car. If my wife and I are sitting around and we're on our second or third glass of wine, we might crank up the 80s music and listen to that. So I've got one for you, Jim. Okay. And you're going to be surprised when I tell you that I used to be a huge fan of this particular person. But you don't listen to music now. No, no, no. no. I, I listen to music, but you listen to podcasts. I do listen mostly podcasts, but I do listen to some music, but this one you're going to be surprised about. So recently somebody told me that they just went to the Bob Dylan concert, which I didn't realize that he was coming to concert anymore. I didn't. But I used to he's be... He's got to be old. I used to be... He's like 80. I used to be a huge Bob Dylan fan. He must need money. Yeah, maybe. I shouldn't say that. No, but. no, no. It's fine. I used to be a huge Bob Dylan fan, which I'm sure you're going to be kind of surprised about. Uh, no, not really. No? No. He, Why do you think I like him? He's chill. He's chill. He's chill. He's a poet. He, yeah, he... He's great with well, words. He's a singer-songwriter. He's a singer-songwriter. There's a what big am, difference yeah. between singer... Like, you know, Adele is a singer-songwriter. Yeah. They articulate their pain through music. Yes. George Michael was he's a great. A huge, he's a great storyteller. Yes. Yeah. So, like, yes. one of my favorite songs going back... This, like, kind of takes me back to my college days. So, we used to jam Hurricane by Bob Dylan, if you remember that song. That was a great story. 
So anyway, I thought no. you'd be kind of surprised about that. I'm not surprised at all. At okay. all. No. Okay. What about you? What are you reading? Isn't that what we ask each other? Yeah. I guess you usually ask me what I'm reading because that's what I'm normally doing. I'm reading a marriage book. It's called Reforming Marriage, Trying to Figure Out How to Be a Better, better Husband. Oh, my God. <laughs> After 35 me. years, you probably don't do that anymore, do you? Well, 33. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> We're fine. We're good. You know, I think that you're in a different part of your marriage and family than I am. We're seeing the end of our, you know, well, it's just different, man. Yeah. You know, your kids haven't even graduated from elementary school yet and mine are running my business. That's true. So it's a big difference, That's right? True. Well, you know, I'm a big visionary guy. So I always want to see my, not only my business getting better in the future, but my marriage getting better in the future. Well, that, should, that should happen organically if you're doing well, all the right things. Well, that's what my things. wife would say. She was like, stop putting pressure on me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe I'd like to hear more about what that book tells you in private. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So let's move on to manufacturing yeah. news. So this is from Bankrate and they just put out one of the big results of a survey that they did of Americans. And I'm. this comes from August 23rd of 2021. And the big highlight of the survey is 55% of Americans expect to search for a new job over the next 12 months. Wow. 55%. Yep. Exactly. So the way that this breaks down is they, they put everybody into four buckets. Let me explain. Let me explain okay, the four buckets I, and then you yeah. can get back to it. So they put them into four buckets. Very likely to look for a new job, 35%. Somewhat likely, 20%. So if you add the very likely and the somewhat likely, the 20 plus the 35, that's what gives you the 55%. But what industries? Because oh. it's going to be super gonna weighted. There, yeah, it's no, going to no, no, be no. super we're gonna, weighted. We're going to put this into context and we're going to talk yes. about that. And then you have 20%, which is not too likely, and then 26%, not at all likely. So in there, there's some rounding errors there. So don't like, you know, add the numbers together and be like, hey, it's not a hundred percent. Yeah. So one of the things that they say is this comes from Mark Hamrick, Bankrite's senior economic analyst and Washington Bureau guy. chief. Yeah. After spending the last year or more stuck in their homes, a good number of American workers now expect to be on the move searching for new employment. Pandemic-inspired changes, including the ability to work remotely yep. and or from home, have transformed the mindsets and expectations mm -hmm. for many workers. And I'm highlighting that notion of mindsets and expectations because I think that is what's driving this. So the other thing that I want to put into context is that the numbers change drastically along demographic and other lines. So sure. I'm going to quote. So the one thing that I would say, this isn't a quote, but as the workers get younger, that percentage goes up. Mm -hmm. I agree. As the income is lower, the percentage or the skill is lower, that percentage goes up. And now I'm going to quote Bankrite. They say nearly seven in 10 Black and Hispanic Americans, or 67% of each, plan to hunt for a new position compared with 40% of white Americans. Okay. So this is kind of interesting. So given this survey, what should we consider and how do we put this into context for yes. manufacturing? Because yes. I, mean, I think that's the important thing. Well, it's important to know generally across all industries. But for us, this is a manufacturing podcast and we're sharing this information with manufacturing leaders. Exactly. What does it really mean to us? I mean, I'm seeing like hospitality is probably going to be the biggest driver of this change yep. in all of those together because they were the ones that were affected most by the pandemic. You know what, Jim? You're absolutely right. Yeah. Those that were affected the most, yes. which are people in the service industry, yes. are the ones that are mostly going to be looking for new jobs. And that's definitely one of the things that I wanted to make sure that I communicated is that I don't think that by and large manufacturers have seen the effects of the great resignation simply because 
your machinists are not necessarily going to be affected by this unless you were selling to an industry where it was heavily dominated by COVID having an impact. Yeah. So because like, let's face it, manufacturing didn't suffer all too much during the pandemic. Exactly. Right? But if you have, like, say, lower skill, lower income workers at your manufacturing company, which some of the metalworking nation do, then you may have some issues associated with that. But the first point that I want to talk about is, and we're going to talk very broadly, I'm going to move through this quickly. If you lose people on your team, how can it affect you? So these are things that you have to take into consideration as you make changes to how you let manage and lead your people. It can affect your operations. It can affect your culture. It can affect your bottom line. It can affect your capacity. Mm -hmm. What else can it affect? Your deliveries, your profitability, because you got to yeah. retrain, you have to onboard yeah. again. Yeah, that's what your bottom line, your capacity, your yeah. operations. Yeah, yeah all, all of those, those things. things. Yeah. Supply chain is a big deal right now. Oh my God, it's awful. It's hard to get parts. It's hard to get machines. What is going on in your world right now with supply chain, Jim? Well, a supply chain, I can get cutting tools, thank God, yeah. from Zangers, but I'm having a really hard time getting materials. That seems to be like a huge problem right now. Well, quite frankly, in the 41 years in business, I've never seen it so crazy. But it's about three times longer than it used to be right now to get material. You know, I think our partner Zometry has a solution for that, don't Absolutely. they? Absolutely. And I was going to get to that, Jason. I just got an email the other day from somebody that I know at Zometry, and they're promoting their new supplies partnership that they have. And they are offering people like myself that own machine shops, you can buy your raw material. Let's say you've got $100,000 in aluminum that you need to buy. You can buy it from Zometry. They will hold it for you at that cost. And then all I got to do is call and say, hey, man, can you ship 25% of that to me? And then it sits on my floor. And then I have 90 days, same as cash, to pay for that. So I'm pulling my inventory from Zometry. It's not scattered all over the shop floor. And it sounds like an awesome thing. It's basically like a Kanban system. What is a Kanban? I've heard that many, many times. You just described it. Is so, that exactly what so it instead is? instead of you being stuck with all the inventory right now, you trigger the shipment when you need it. Well, it sounds like a fantastic idea. I know I've talked to Ryan about it already. We're ready to call Zometry next week and give them an order or at least get an RFQ for some big aluminum orders we have coming up. And as a matter of fact, you, the metalworking nation, can try too. And Jason, what's that landing page number? So you go to Zometry, X-O-M-E-T-R-Y dot com slash making chips and you get 10% off. Sounds great. Awesome. And then I want to talk about really briefly, why do people leave? Okay. So people leave for oh. a promotion. Okay. So more responsibilities and more development. People leave for a pay increase, which is very much related to that. People leave because of cultural fit. So somebody might be staying in a job because they've just been there for a long time and they know they're not a cultural fit, but now they have an opportunity to leave because there's a lot of people hiring and they say, okay, I don't fit here. I need to go somewhere where I fit. Sure. That could also be related to a bad team or a bad... Maybe the cultural fit is just that you work in a very negative environment or a and, very... And you know, maybe it's a good thing for the company. Maybe this is the time for a shift. Well, sometimes, yeah, if the wrong person leaves. But what if you work for a company that's very negative and you are the only joyful person, you know, like there, maybe it's time for you to leave and maybe they're going to kind of get the hint. Right. Um, People also leave because of flexibility. So working from home. Right. 
I know that's a big one. But in manufacturing, though, that's not as big of a factor. You can't run a CNC from your home. That's why I want to kind of put these things into context. And also, it might be like autonomy. You know what I mean? Maybe you're being micromanaged and you just don't want to stay. So why do people stay? They call this job embeddedness. So yeah, let's talk about this. People stay because they love and they fit with the culture. I think that's a huge factor. We talk about that all the time. I'm making jobs. All the time. People stay because they have great owners, great leadership, or a great boss. Yep. That's very hard to replace. That's very hard to unless replace. Unless you're a listener of Making Chips and you've really focused on that. Yep. And then everybody who listens to the show is probably a great boss. They stay because they're friends with their coworkers. Mm, that's true. That's a big factor. And that's one of the reasons why it's important to do stuff together, to go have margaritas, you know, whatever else that you want to do. They stay because they would lose more than what they would gain by leaving or there's some uncertainty in leaving. And sometimes that goes back to leaving your boss or leaving your coworkers or going to a new culture. I have an opinion or just when you're done though, I want to give you what I And then the last thing that I was going to say is they rightfully fear going from an area of stability to being the new person on the totem pole. And I think a lot of that goes back to, well, when that new recession comes... That's what I was going to say. Yeah, they're going to be the new person on the totem pole, maybe Boom, a little bit higher gone. paid. They you gone. know what I mean? They like, gone. hey, we just yep. hired Sally three months ago. And sorry. You know, sorry, Sally. Yeah, I know. That's a big thing. So that is a big factor. And you don't want to be that person applying for a job that's worked a year here, a year here, a year here, six months here, two months here, a year here. You know what I mean? That yep. doesn't look good on a resume. No, it doesn't. Now, even if you say to yourself, you know, you and I are both, we're like, no, we haven't lost anybody. There's still like a lot of these things that we talk about still has implications because a lot of the lower skilled, lower income workers, even though they're the ones that like left first, there could be people that are higher skilled and higher income workers that could be dusting off their resumes over the next 12 months simply because they see what's going on and they're like, you know, maybe there's something better for me. And I think the other factor that that comes into play is we're getting busier and we need to look into hiring people. And so some of these same considerations come into play. One of the things, as an example, during the hiring process, and this is something that my wife and I do together, she takes a lot of time emailing back and forth, vetting the people that submit a resume and I believe we have a great culture. And so we want to make sure that we're very discerning about who we bring onto the team. So she really tees up a person to me to have a virtual interview with. She's like, I've reviewed 100 resumes. I've chosen 10 of those, emailed back and forth with 10 of those people. And I found this one that I want you to interview. So what ends up happening is that this has only happened this one time, but it's made me start to think, I feel like I have a really good closing rate for hiring a new person. When I want somebody... I feel like I can close them. And what part of the reason that I can close them is because of the people that work on my team. I feel like they're great people to work with. I communicate that. I communicate the mission that we're after. And I think that everybody who I end up interviewing really say, you know, I want to work. So, but we had a recent one where I had a candidate who I thought he was great. We made him a job offer and he didn't accept. And I was, to be quite honest with you, I was surprised. And he sent me a very nice text text or email. I don't remember. No, an email. He didn't have my cell phone. He sent me a very nice email that he was not accepting the position. He was accepting another position. I was like, hey, Mike, like, I want to talk about this. So can we talk? And so I was like, you know, call me when you're off of work and let's talk about it. So we talked. And he admittedly said that he loved the company, but that he wanted to take this other position for a couple of reasons. A, he had never worked for a large company. He'd always worked for small business. And mm-hmm. he had this perception that it was going to be very hard for him to kind of 
move up in the position. In a small company or in a big company? In a small company. Oh, I think it's just the opposite. Well, it could be. So that was just his perception. Mm -hmm. And then B, he was offered a tremendous amount of flexibility with this other company. I was hiring him for an operations position, which is Monday through Friday, 7.30 to 4.30. You know, there wasn't any flexibility in what I was offering him because we need to be there Monday through Friday during the day in order to service our customers. So yep. I wasn't able to offer him that. And this new company was offering him a lot of flexibility that I simply, but he was like, you know what? Everything else I love, you mm-hmm. know, and your team is awesome. And I really sold him on it and I was disappointed. So one of the changes that we're making in our hiring process because of what I'm seeing out in the marketplace is I'm telling my wife, we can't just take a rifle approach. We need to move two or three people into the... Because we just lost two weeks. Because we spent two weeks interviewing and courting this person. Mm -hmm. And now we got to start all over again. So we've made that change to our hiring process where instead of really going deep with one person, you know, we're going to bring in, say, two or three people in order to interview all of them. Got it. What do you guys do when you're ready to hire somebody? Do you really get in depth with one person or it's changed in recent months? I've been very fortunate that the last few hires I've made have come to me. So that made it very easy. But I have made a couple offers and they didn't work out for one wanted nights. Mm-hmm. which we didn't have a night position available. So similar to what I went yeah, through. You know what I mean? He wanted flexibility. Your guy wanted nights, you know? One of them wanted PTO in the first year. And I'm like, what? PTO? And the, I'm like, what? PTO? I mean, I know all the manufacturing people that are out there listening to this. You're going to like, what? So, hey, I got news for you, though. You're in the state of Illinois. You actually have to offer PTO. I for know. Sure. Well, no. Not a lot, but you have to offer it. If they work six months, you have to pay them half of 90 what? Days. It's a new law. It's retroactive to 90 days? No, they have to start accumulating PTO after oh. 90 days. Anyway, this PTO thing came up, and I think that these prospective employees have a lot of opportunity right now to find exactly what they think they want. And most are younger that I've been talking to. There's no highly skilled machinists that are coming to me lately. So most of them are entry level or very semi-skilled. And they need training? Well, first of all, they need onboarding to our ways. And, you know, that's a costly thing. And then after that is, yes, you know, fundamental training of the the career. And that's a lot of work. I know Ryan's been doing a really good job in training right now. Yeah. So one of my observations through this great resignation is that I don't think manufacturers by and large, like, you know, your engineers, your production managers, your manufacturing leaders, all those people for the by and large have continued coming into the office even during COVID. And so they have not had their mindset and their expectations shifted like a lot of the workers that are looking to resign. Mm-hmm. And so I don't think that our employees are going to be affected in the same way or have been affected in the same way that that some others have. However, I think that we need to start looking at, okay, well, people that make under $30,000 a year, which would be that lower wage spectrum, they've already decided that they're looking for a new job. But I think over the next 12 months, we need to look at the people that are making above $40,000 and say, okay, are they going to start dusting off their resumes? Are they going to start looking? What do we need to do in order to shore up our business now and start making sure that we retain those people when that happens. Here's what you need to do. Retain a good, healthy corporate culture. Yes, I agree. Retain competitive wages. 
Yes. So I have something to say about that. One of the things that we're going to be doing as far as competitive wages is, and I mentioned this on making chips before, is I want to make a shift to increasing the percentage of variable pay. And I talked about that before. So if I can maintain the levels of fixed pay that I have and then implement a variable pay based on how well... What is a variable pay? I'll explain. So let's just say on a month-to-month basis, the company makes X in profit. I want to be able to share that with the rest of the team so that that becomes an important part of their Sounds confusing. Just as an outsider looking in, it sounds confusing. I understand. But basically what I want to do is I want to share in the wealth of how well the company does and have that be a bigger part of their compensation. Okay. For two reasons. A, it's good. I like being able to share in the wealth. And then two, if there is a downturn in the economy, I can still retain my team with only having to cut that variable part sure. out, not the fixed part. So I think it's going to be a win-win for everybody. And then there's some other tactics that we're looking into too. So we want to look into elevating our current team members instead of hiring from the outside. Okay. And as I mentioned before, I think one of the biggest things that you can do is just listen to your team. I agree. And do the little things. So it's kind of like if you're in a marriage and sometimes your wife just wants you to listen. And if you're not doing that, It's not going to be good for your marriage. And it's the same thing with your team. It's like, if you're not listening to what's concerning them, they're going to look elsewhere. The new hot show out there is Ted Lasso. Have you ever heard of it? I have. I haven't seen it yet. You know what? We don't have... It's uh, Apple Apple TV. TV. Fast forward through this if you don't want a little bit of a spoiler. It was like the first or second episode. I don't want it. Because we want to watch it. It's minor. So Ted Lasso comes into the company. And one of the big things that he does, and I'm not going to give the whole context, is that he asks them, what's wrong with this team? What's happening here? And one of the guys kind of jokingly says, the water pressure in the showers suck. Remember, this is a soccer team. So they've got a locker room and they've got showers in there. And that's one of the first things that he fixes. He increases the pressure of the in in the showers. Because it was simple to do. Because it was simple to do. And he's listening to what they had to say. Right. And he's reacting to that and putting those changes into effect. Right. And I think it's sometimes it's those little things that you can oh. do that don't cost you any money or maybe cost you very little that you can do that could really make a big difference to your team. Just like it's the little things in your marriage that you could do that could really increase the communication and the quality of your marriage. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just you asked the question, mm-hmm. what are you going to do to retain talent? These are the things I, I you saw me scratch yes. in here in my piece of paper. I so like to hear it. Healthy culture. Yes. Agreed. Retain a healthy culture. Hopefully we all have healthy cultures, but you need to stay on top of it and retain that healthy culture. Competitive wages. And in our case, Overtime, because overtime is a very prominent, it's, it's almost the industry standard. In so our, your overtime is, you're speaking the same language with variable, my variable pay yeah. and sharing the net income because you're not giving those guys overtime if you don't have the, the, work. the work or the income to back it up. Yep. Out of the box, exclusive benefits. Mm-hmm. I think Car Machine is a benefit-rich company. I think we give benefits way above and beyond most any other typical manufacturing company. That's exclusive to us and car. Mm-hmm. I believe in it, like it. I think it's part of our culture and I promote it. I think listening and caring is being authentic with your employees because you can have bosses that are very inauthentic that your employees aren't stupid. They can see right through that crap. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So those are the things that I think are really in, you know, having a corporate get togethers, all of those things. That's part of the culture, right? Mm-hmm. A part of a healthy culture. 
So those are the things. And, you know, at the end of the day, we can only do the best we can do. If someone's going to move for whatever reason, then, hey, I wish you the best of luck. If I can't match what you're getting or if there's something that I'm not doing for you, I can't help you get to that level right now, then, you know, by all means, I wish you the best of luck. Yeah. And one of the best things that we can do is like when somebody does leave, I hope you're successful. Right. And it's a learning experience for the company. Because you're going to learn where you failed with that employee. Hopefully, it's a learning experience, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Whether it was truly a failure, but at the end of the day, you're going to learn something from that. Another thing I want to share, too, what's happening that I'm seeing, particularly with my son, my son who works for a major company, has been there now for about two years. He interviewed for a managerial position for 10 months, 10 months, 12 interviews, created spreadsheets to prepare his presentation why he believes he's the right person for that role. Wow. He finally got the green light. Yes, you're going to move into this new role. No increase in wages. Lateral move. Wow. Now, is this a sign of something to come? It's very interesting, don't you think? Well, does your son work from home? He does. One of the things that I've heard and he works for a technology company, just to keep it broadly, right? Yes. So one of the things that I've heard that a lot of these technology companies, and just reading in the newspaper, one of the things that I've heard that they're doing is that because they have so many people working from home, they are actually freezing the wages of people that work from home or having a, a lower bar for people that work from home versus people that work from the office. Why? I don't understand well, that. They're saving all the money on their leases. Okay. So a lot of the reasons... And their we, fixed costs. Jim, I'm with you. So I don't have enough information in order to understand exactly. But the only things I can think is, okay, so if you're a Silicon Valley company and you're paying wages in order for somebody to work in Silicon Valley, if they move to... Oh, um, North they Carolina. Br- or they move to Brazil or, you know, oh. wherever, you know, I don't know, wherever. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like they don't feel like they should have to pay those same wages. And so they're saying that they're not going to. And I don't know if that's what's happening. I just thought it was very interesting. Yeah, that is very interesting. It's very interesting. Yeah. And I apparently this is common in this particular well, company. Do, do some research. I think, I think you'll find some information yeah. out there. So on this. the spectrum's large with this. Mm-hmm. Great resignation. Mm-hmm. And not everyone's leaving their jobs for the same reasons, right? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, Jason and Jim and everyone listening to this show is manufacturing centric. We want to talk about the things that are going to keep us with the good employees. And I believe that we covered that today. Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, if you're not making ships, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.